0: I mean, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. This is Harriet Kamek with Down to Earth, if you're just joining our podcast. And I must say that today is the 1st of October. Hello, fall. Mm, welcome. So it's the season for scary movies, and I don't know which is scarier. It's, 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 we don't even need a movie right now because real life is equally just as scary. If you were anywhere on the planet, on tuesday night and watch the debate it was enough for you to lose your eyelashes and to collectively just shut the tv down i mean i knew it was going to be bad but to have actually witnessed it descend into that spectacle by the president i'm blaming him because he's the president we expect him to have a higher moral authority and he could he it wasn't just that he was trying to get a point across if that were the case, we would say, "Well, the guy is fighting for re-election." No, it's that he had no respect for neither the moderator nor the person he was debating. He didn't follow the rules of the of the game. He didn't follow the rules of sportsmanship, and he didn't definitely didn't follow the rules of engagement. And he called people names. And the thing that got to me, the part of it that really sucked for me, was when he called out Mr. Biden's sons. Like who does that? What if Joe Biden were the kind of person who were to turn it around and start calling out Mr. Trump's children? You wouldn't like it at all. And that part of it, to descend into that while the rest of us were watching, while impressionable children were watching who someday perhaps plan to go into politics and to see our leaders actually do stuff like this, it, it, it was mind-blowing. You know, it it really was. It was was terrible. We still didn't walk away with what Mr. Trump's plan is for the next four years, if he's reelected, which highly seems unlikely right now. We still don't know what he plans to do for the next 35 days, for the rest of the year to combat the coronavirus. He still didn't tell us what to tell our children who are not in school, right? Who have to study from home, who are out of their minds. I mean, if he had children at home, I guess... And his wife didn't weren't surrounded by people who took care of their kids. They would understand what every other parent in America is experiencing because children are stir crazy right now. If, if he could tell us what are you going to do about the number of people who are jobless and who are evicted and who face eviction and face homelessness and just flat out out of their minds people in nursing home work in nursing homes people in the hospitality industry who have lost jobs, people in every facet, small businesses across the country have closed, people who own restaurants, their business have gone out the door, people who own other types of small businesses on main street and other streets in our cities and towns across America have lost their businesses. He did not give us a plan, but he did tell us where he stands on white supremacy he did not condemn white supremacy. And that is the crux around which I want to talk about today because we're doing our series, The Cost of Racism. And it kind of struck me because there were three old white men on the stage talking about race in America and they didn't field any questions from the public, the audience who were sitting there and they didn't field any questions. They did. How can you expect non-white people, non-black people to talk about race in America? at least give us some idea. So we did learn something that he did tell Proud Boys who are a white supremacist organization who have been deemed uh, on a on a watch list. Uh, he did tell them to stand down, to stand by, right? Didn't he say that? He said, stand back and stand by. Didn't he? His exact words. And yesterday in a follow-up when, they try, when reporters tried to get him to condemn white supremacy, He wouldn't. So it's kind of like okay, we're now we're very clear where you stand. So all the people who are black voices for Trump and so on, I I think you need to question yourselves. How can you be black voices for Trump when Mr. Trump does not condemn white supremacy? And white supremacy is what has caused racism, what has caused gerrymandering, which has caused redlining, which is why your ancestors did not were not able to leave money for you because they were beaten and ravaged and pillaged and raped and robbed of everything else we did a podcast last week in which we talked about the various methods used by white supremacy to marginalize black americans to ensure that they were never part of anything you were never your ancestors who fought in world war ii were not given part were not part of the gi bill we're not part of social security So again, I need you to tell me how are you black voices for Trump when Mr. Trump does not condemn white supremacy. But he takes a picture with you and you go put it on your social media pages and say you're praying for him. But he doesn't care about you and the people who look like you. Do you understand what I'm saying from the perspective not of him being a private citizen and he's a real estate tycoon. He could do anything he wanted, but he's the president of these United States. And for all of us who live here, that is a problem. So again, I'm going to ask the question, how can anybody ask non-black people their opinions on racism? What do you think you're going to get? And while I was preparing for this show, something popped up on my Twitter feed about this white woman in Texas who lives in a, I should say, maybe like an upper middle class neighborhood it looks like. And she was told that a development nearby was going to uh, 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 build structures for uh, low income people. And she got mad. So they interviewed her and asked her, "What's, what's your issue? And she said, I'm not a racist and I'm not a bigot. But I'm not the kind of person who ask a millionaire how they make their money, but I don't think those people should live here because I think that they're poor. They're probably a single mom. I guarantee you before this year is old, that woman is going to end up being poor and a single mom because she she doesn't even look like she's in a position. If she were a millionaire, I could say, you know what? You say those things when you have several layers between you and poverty, But when you don't have that many layers between you and poverty, you need to shut up because people are going to investigate her. And if her husband either owns a business or works for someone, he's going to lose his job. And then there is the resulting chaos that will hit her life. Do you see what I'm saying? People know who she is, so they're going to find her and they're going to talk about it because this is crazy. I'm like, we all need to examine ourselves because we're in a day, unless you have several millions of layers between you and poverty, you need to shut up right now because it is so damning and so clear that anybody can be caught up in anything at any time. It's not easy, right? People are losing their shirt. People have lost their businesses, their livelihoods for the rest of time. And guess what? it's not like you lose your business and there is a job that you can go and do there's none and and when you look at the composition of main street across the country it's white and black alike everybody is in it the only people who have survived are perhaps people who sell food every day so the supermarkets and the grocery stores and the liquor stores and the the convenience stores those are the only people who didn't lose anything but everybody else lost. My mechanic who uh, has been working on my ve- my vehicles for some time now, you know, you're going for an oil change. He has a nice setup and you know, you're in and out, right? And I kid you not during the pandemic, he was shut down because everything was shut down. The stress of it. It's a good thing. He was a conservative businessman. So he wasn't highfalutin buying million dollar cars and all kinds of stuff. Just drive a regular old GMC or whatever. So he was able to survive for the months that we weren't open. When he finally reopened in July, he was like, Harriet, I can't begin to tell you. Thank God. Do you see what I'm saying? But what about other people who were basically just existing from making income, could barely survive. They have a dream. They want to do a business. They invest whatever funds, savings they had because black people don't get lines of credit. And now here we are. They've lost everything. So again, the question is, how are we going to ask non-Black people how, what, it, what is racism? What does racism mean and what we're going to do about it? We need to get out of this narrative where we're constantly asking. It's, it's the media's fault. It's just like even after the debate. The media doesn't want to seem to take sides. So they're blaming both sides. No, Mr. Biden didn't do anything. Mr. Biden was not the one who was interrupting. As a matter of fact, even the moderator had to say, Mr. Biden interrupted 15 times, the president interrupted 76 times. Mr. The president called him names, he denigrated him, denigrated his family, and we have a whole country to run. That was the thing that got to me. We have a whole country with policy, with people dying. At least a thousand people are dying every day from the coronavirus. And you up there pontificating about the man's son who has a problem. Everybody has had a family member who has either been addicted to drugs or alcohol or sex or something. And they have been hurt by it. I applaud Mr. Biden for coming forward and saying, I love my son and affirming him. It made everyone else of us feel that this is what we should do as parents. And everybody who has ever walked that tightrope knows exactly what it feels like for the president to call that down was disgraceful. Not only was it, forget it was just purely inhumane and disgraceful. It was terrible. We have people right now who are jobless, and you're up there talking about stuff like this and you're not addressing the millions of people who have been left homeless. I wish I could put everybody in somewhere to live. People have lost their jobs, Mr. President. Do you know what that is like? Can you step off your gold leaf toilet for a minute and put yourself... Or you you can't do that, so you can't empathize. But can you just imagine... Just have a wild imagination that you're not on the set of The Apprentice and just imagine what it must feel like for somebody who has lost their job. Sometimes two people were working a minimum wage job trying to make it. They lost their job, Mr. President, and have to move out of their apartments. The people who own mortgages and so on have a little bit more leeway because they're in fact negotiating with their mortgage companies. So whereas by the end of the year, some, most of them have on to the end of the year to work something out with their mortgage company, it takes six months to eight to 12 months for that entire foreclosure process to happen. It's not quick, but with rent, it is much quicker. I mean, if you don't pay your rent by the fifth day of the month, they put up a notice on your door, And it really only cost maybe $5 in filing fee for the landlord to go down to the district court and to say, uh, I want to put an eviction on somebody else. Do you understand what I'm saying? These are the issues. But you know who is caught up in it? Maybe that's why people like Mitch McConnell and wealthy Republicans can afford to, this doesn't bother them because they're wealthy. So it's not their issue. The people who are caught up in this are black and brown people, the people who work essential jobs, the people who really literally survive from paycheck to paycheck. They're human beings, Mr. President, Mr. McConnell, and the rest of you Republicans. They're human beings. They're Americans more, um, they're Americans just like you. And you walk away from these folks and don't do something about enacting a stimulus bill that will keep Americans through the rest of the pandemic. It should not be that you're worried about giving people $600 a week because you are afraid people will be lazy. There are no jobs. You sons of Tars, you are wicked and cruel and inhuman. Yes, I called you out this is not a public, list. this is not a sponsored pro- podcast. I can say what I want. You're cruel and inhuman for leaving people at the mercy of landlords. Do you have any idea how traumatic this is to watch your possessions being put on the side of the street and to stand there not knowing where you're going to sleep tonight? And guess what? You know what is the worst part? There's no relief in sight. It's not like you can go rent a motel room for a night or two thinking you'll get a paycheck that can help you before the landlord posts it and it runs on your credit. You can go rent somewhere else. No, there are no jobs and none for the foreseeable future. But you wouldn't know that because you're living off public assistance. Yes, you're living off the public's benefit. You live in the public's in public housing. You're riding on public planes, living like a darned king eating something that is cooked for you, paid for by the public, so you don't even care. You put your head on that pillow that Mr. Pillow Man made you, laying up in a bed in the White House that the people paid for. Meanwhile, said people who work to put money into taxes to pay for it, said people are being evicted on the streets. You mean to tell me you all had all this time and you could not enact a bill that would make sure everybody in America got a stimulus for the next six months of the pandemic? And now we're still going to ask non-Black people their opinions on racism. Let me ask you, you ever walk in my shoes? Have you ever been a Black person who had to apply for a job? Let's start right there. Oh, stop. Let me back up. From the day you were conceived in your mother's womb and you had to go to, your mother had to go to the doctor. And the doctor treated her like she was nothing, even though she probably looks like she's, she has uh, hypertension during pregnancy. She probably has high blood sugar during pregnancy because she comes from a generation of people who never could afford health care and for whom the healthcare system disparaged against through racism in health care she probably didn't have enough. She probably didn't finish college. She probably even started college, but couldn't finish because the funds ride up because Republicans make sure that nobody can get into college. Yes, they do. Then they take out the budgets out of school districts that are primarily black and brown across the country. So how are you going to finish anyway? The schools are leaking. The roofs are leaking. Public, uh, the water doesn't work. Yeah. Am I speaking right? The school books don't get delivered. Teachers are not interested because the teachers have to spend all their salary to provide the materials that we all pay taxes for that should be provided. Do I have this right? So you start right there. So then you may make it into college, but then let's say you go to college. You graduate from college and you're a black person with a college degree trying to apply for a job. You get paid $15 an hour. Lucky, lucky you. Because the white person is going to get $20 an hour or get salaried. But you don't know that because you don't see the deal. Doing the same work and they're getting 10 times what you get. Hello, somebody. So why, again, are we asking non-black people their opinions on racism? Every time I see a microphone being thrust by a reporter into a white person's face to ask them, I'm like, that is so disingenuous. How can they talk? How can you talk about something if you have never walked in their shoes? It's it's like being a political refugee. So you come from another country because of politics and war in your country. I could not relate to that. So, how am I going to talk about it? And how am I going to be able to relate to it if I haven't done it? I would need to have somebody who has experienced it to walk in it. Again, we need to stop this narrative. We need to stop this foolishness where we ask non-black people their opinions on racism because they don't have one. It's not a qualified opinion because it's what? It's not based on lived experiences. And if it's not based on lived experiences, it's not valid because your, your lived experiences, your validation comes from your lived experiences. I know I just said something there that is validating a lot of you. Your lived experiences is your validation. So we're asking non-black people to talk about racism and to talk about what policies they're going to affect to combat racism. It's kind of like, what is that? They don't know what that is. Much like the president thinks that he needs to discontinue racial sensitivity, sensitivity training in the federal government because he thinks it's stupid. Because again, he doesn't think that uh, uh, racism exists. There's no systemic racism. Said federal government that has a policy that no discrimination based on race, sex, national origin, Jesus. This gentleman who has never worked in politics before. He's not a student of politics. He's been a critic of political leaders because it looks like he thought that maybe they were just rolling on Air Force One and they just look big and bad, stepping up, walking across the White House lawn on uh, (laughs) going to Marine One. And he just thought, I can do that. I can do that. I hate to tell you, but this reality show that you're starring in actually has people's lives. So your reality is different from theirs. Although I don't know, after, after November, anything goes, cause I don't know what your reality is going to be come January it might be very different from what you imagined it could be. The problem is that right now I am living in the experience of being a black person. And when the faces that I see on the news, who are being evicted are black people. The faces that I see of people being uh, being erased from the public discourse are black people. The people who are being attacked and brutalized by police violence are black people. So the lived experiences of said group of people validates my experience as a black person. Racism is is a funnel through which all others come through. When you don't condemn racism and white supremacy, you're literally telling every militia group in the country that it's open season. You literally have put a bounty on the heads of black people. Every black person, black man, black woman, black girl, black boy, we know how we're literally walking around with a bounty on our heads because you did not condemn white supremacy. You are telling fringe elements, people who frankly, Mr. President, you can't even control. Because guess what? They're using you to achieve their agenda. And the day you stop saying what validates them is the day when they will turn on you. This is why the rest of the government prior to you did not take them seriously. They had a process for dealing with them. Eliminate them, push them as further into the fringe as possible, and lock them up where you could because they were dangerous and disruptive to everyday life. But to you, Mr. President, they're a vote that will ensure you stay in power so you can avoid the indebtedness that you owe. So at the expense of your lifestyle, you want the rest of us to live. And to be damaged by your non-committal attitude, it just pales me to see people jumping tough and saying the president is not racist when you had a uh, you you had it's clear in front of you. You don't condemn white supremacy. Why not? You are the president. White supremacy, according to your own law enforcement agents at the FBI, is the sole threat or greatest threat of of terrorism in this country is domestic. Made up of these fringe elements and you will not condemn them. You in fact validate them. So this is why it is not fair for us to ask non-black people their opinions on racism because it's cured. And it's cured in their direction. You look at people like Proud Boys and, and the KKK and you don't see them being a threat because They're not a threat to you because you share the same skin color. But for me and other people who have the lived experience of being Black, they are a threat. If I were living in some places right now, in the hills and so on, I would worry about the people around me. I kid you not. I would worry about the wrong people. I'd probably go live in town until the end of January or something. I kid you not because I would wonder if they're not gonna rise up against me. I am I, glad that for this time, I live in the space where I am because I don't have to worry about them throwing rocks through my living room window for them slashing my tires. Recently here in Warren, Michigan, we had a similar situation where uh, a, a black family, who by the way, are, are, are vets, retired vets, so, you know, they're retired, you know how that is. They don't just stay at home, they're still working. And apparently they had some signs on their front lawn that said Black Lives Matter. And one of their racist neighbors, white racist neighbors, threw rocks through their front window like it was no, no big deal, slashed their tires. You know how expensive tires are? Slash their tires. He was caught on surveillance camera, and because the FBI, the FBI took it up and investigated it and found who it is. Now he's arrested. Now he's gonna go through the system and now he's gonna pay for what he has done. Something he didn't think would happen. See, the danger is this that other white fringe elements are looking on and they see it and they become resentful now at the processes of government because they feel that the United States belongs to them. And so the government of the United States turned its back on white people and is now defending the rest of the people who live here. We need a government and a president who invalidates that. And a government and a president who says that is not the United States, just like Mr. Biden said yesterday, when they asked him, what message do you have for whites? He says, every white supremacist group sees and desist. That is not how we are as Americans. He said, I'm telling you, seize and desist. He said, seize and desist. That means stop what you're doing completely, entirely. Because if he becomes the next president, that means they're going we have to do something about it. And see, when when you see situations like what happened in Warren, Michigan, you if you are a, a non-black person, you may think, okay. But as a black person, it would bother you because it sure bothers me. Because if I lived in a neighborhood that was like that, some stuff would be going on around there. I don't know if I'd be sleeping at night. I'd be patrolling to make sure they're not slashing my tires or they're not looking for, you know, they're not throwing rocks through my windows, interrupting my water supply. You don't even know what people will do. Set my house on fire, stuff like that. We that's hey, we left that 150 years ago. We need to stop that. And and I'm saying this with all decency because a few years ago, I tried to reach out to the KKK. But yes, I did. I had a radio show in Detroit. I was a syndicated radio show host in Detroit, Covington, Kentucky, and Cincinnati. And my daughter heard uh, saw an ad on Instagram. That the kkk was recruiting this is when obama was president and her friends uh in high school at the time thought it was hilarious <laughs> so she took a screenshot and they had a phone number and she said mom you should talk about this you, you should reach out to them so i did i did call them and they said because of 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 uh, law they could not talk to me because the FBI monitors their phone calls, but they did give me the local KKK in Fraser, Michigan. You gotta understand that I couldn't imagine that there was a local KKK group less than 20 miles from where I live. I was like, seriously? So I began to ask people around me, is it true? Is it true? They're like, we didn't know either, but thanks for telling us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It is the strangest thing that you have ever heard. This was back in 2015, 2014, 2015. So it was unimaginable that there could ever be a time when groups like those could ever feel that they don't have to listen to the FBI, they don't have to follow what the law says, they can do whatever they wanna do. But here we have come to this point where these fringe groups I validated the spectacle of racism. So you want to know what this costs black people is the trauma. And I I suppose one of the things I have learned about racism that even though personally, I find it hard to, to understand is that how uncaring white people are of the pain of black people, how uncaring white people are of the racist policies that cost black people their jobs, their security, and their homes. The very things that white people take for granted, having job security, having a job, having homes and can, being able to walk freely around the society, applying for loans and not having to worry about uh, an interest rate that is going to distance you from your money. The very things that white people take for granted are the very things that black people have to fight for and have to worry about i know that many of us are not going to admit it but many black people right now who live in predominantly white neighborhoods are worried about their security you're not sleeping well at night you're worried that you don't know which one of your neighbors is racist enough to try to do something to you no matter how liberal some of them say they are you don't really know some of you by the time this is over this is all over and settled, you might rethink where you live. You might find yourself putting your house up for sale and moving because you don't know. Some of you have gone to the extent where you put up gates and stuff around your property just to make sure that you have some security. Some of you right now are even saying, God, every time I get behind the wheel of my car to go to work or to go home or to go home, I have to worry about being pulled over. That unnecessary trauma at the expense of one man's ego just so he can win an election. That is unheard of. And the problem, it's not that racism is new to America. It was always there. But the preponderance of the society was that, look, uh, the, you know, let's not make it seem so obvious. Even though black people had never stopped experiencing racism in our everyday lives. But at least the thinking was, let it not be so obvious. Now it is what it is because the president is who he is. And because he is who he is, his acolytes and the people around him make sure that they continue to push this agenda. And guess what? His faithful acolytes, his faithful followers lap it up because it is some form of validation for them that here is a man who believes what they believe and who will do what they want to do. They, it makes them feel really, really good. We can never ask non-black people what it feels because you don't know. You've never really walked in my skin. You don't know what it is like to be the only black person in a room or You never know what it is like to apply for loans and not get it or to apply for college and not get it because of a perception. A perception that, like this white woman from Texas who thinks that every black woman is a single mother and every black woman is poor. That's a perception that is wrong. Some of the people who are watching her are like, bitch, you know, they're probably like, girl, I can go buy your house. I can buy your house 10 times over. But her perception, she lives in such a bubble that her perception is that every black woman who is is a single mother is broke and needs help. Can I just ask you a question? So what? Whose fault is that? Who started that? Your ancestors did. Your ancestors created slavery. Your ancestors created Jim Crow. Your ancestors are why we had to fight for civil rights your ancestors created the debacle we're in today. The problem goes way, way deep. While color is skin deep, guess what? Racism goes even deeper. It is so deeply entrenched and woven into the psyche that people don't even realize that some of the decisions they make are based upon the perception of my race. This is why we call it unconscious bias. You respond because you look at people and you just immediately attribute to them certain behaviors and practices just because of how they look, just because of how they sound, just because of the color of their skin. It's practiced and riveted into the ways we do things. It's practiced and riveted into public policy. Time and time and over and over and over again. And again and again. It's kind of like I watch uh, how the Democrats are lining up. And I kind of feel like uh, the Democrats placing Kamala Harris on the ticket as vice president is a way of bridging the gap, a way of saying this is the direction we need to be in. And Mr. Biden said once that we need leaders who look like the country. For a white man to say that is interesting because we have forgotten that the country is no longer 67% white. The country is no longer 68% white. The country is barely 50% white. It's sinking slowly. That's why they stopped the census for political gain so that they rep- they won't have districts where they're predominantly black and brown people. So you have to have certain more representatives who will look more like the population. But I guess there's going to be a recount because it is damaging. You gotta understand that this is more than skin deep. It is embedded in our psyche, in the way we think, in the way we attribute things to people. You, you and I will go for a job, and they will pay the white girl fifteen dollars more. They'll pay her ten times more. They'll just look at me and just assume. It never fails me how when you meet certain white people, they'll never shake the hand of a black person or if they do, they wipe their hands on their jackets. And I'm looking at them like, I know I'm cleaner than you because I've been using hand sanitizer for years. You just discovered that during the pandemic. I'd never shake people's hands because I thought people were not clean. And if they did, I always had hand sanitizer or wet wipes near me. But perception is a heck of a thing. You'd be amazed how more alike we are than dissimilar, but that's not the perception. I remember years ago when I lived in Florida, I lived in a subdivision, and I've said this many times before, there were only a few black families in that subdivision. We were one of them, and our neighbors were white, and one of them had a son who liked our home. I mean, you couldn't get him out of our home. So when the kids came home from school, he was about three or four. I would keep the garage door open so he could feel free to come in. And he would come in. And when, especially around dinner time, I mean, it got to the point where I would, I used to keep condiments because it's Florida. So it's hot most of the year. So, you know, you keep those frozen condiments for kids in the freezer. So, you know, your regular two door fridge. There are lots of frozen condiments there. For, and I kept it there for my my daughter. But she would just be walking out on her bike, eating one. So the kids were just like, oh, so it's over there? Oh, it's at your house? Okay. Before you knew it, my they would just come in. So this is the one in particular. He was so adorable. His name was Sammy. I couldn't get past him. He was so adorable. And he killed me with his eyes. Oh, he had the prettiest eyes ever. And he knew how to work me with it. You know, he would just look at me and I would not. So I would keep the stuff that he liked in the lower part of the freezer. So that when he opened the fridge, he would get it. And then when it was dinner time, he would smell my cooking. And he would be hungry. So I would say, okay, Sammy, you're going to eat with us today. Let me check with your mom. After a while, she was like, don't even call me because he's going to want it anyway." one day we were talking about it as parents and I'm like gee I hope you don't mind because he does you know I don't want you to get upset that and she said no I'm not upset she said I'm glad you take the burden off me (laughs) that's one less thing I have to do but she said are you surprised that we have the same issues and I said what she's white I'm black she said we have the same issues. We have to worry about paying our bills just like you. I have three children to feed and I have to worry about food, being putting food on the table just like you. She said, that's why I drink my wine to cope. She said, do you? I said, no, I don't drink wine. <laughs> I don't drink to cope. But the problem was, she said, we're more alike than we're dissimilar. So I'm going to ask you, what are your meal plans for the week? Because my son is eating very well at your house. Where do you shop that you can cook and feed them for a week? Because she says, I just peel potatoes. That's what I do all day. I said, well, I kind of peel cut it up and put it in the freezer so that when I'm ready for it, it's ready. But do you see what I'm saying? We are more alike at the base of it because we all have to contend with the issues of life. We get to a certain age, and we have to worry about raising children at the same time while we are taking care of elderly parents. We get to an age where we have to worry about healthcare and planning for the future, making sure that we have enough money saved because you never know what's coming down the road. We worry about paying our mortgages off and paying our houses off. We worry about paying off a car so we're not stuck with a car loan every minute of the day. We worry about sending our kids to college. Do I have to take out a mortgage on my house? We worry about putting food on the table. We have that rent to pay. The water has to be paid because we need running water to flush the toilets and wash our hands and cook food and brush our teeth. We need lights on to keep the heat on in our homes and we need to put food on the table. I am distressed when I see the Department of Agriculture who sends out boxes of food to needy surplus food, to needy people that the president of the United States in a vanity effort wants a letter to be in. So everything has to stop. The hunger people who need to be fed. He has this vanity thing. He wants a letter with his signature on it. As if he's the one giving it out. No, dude, you're not. This was set in place long before you got there and it's gonna continue long after you. The vanity of it, the foolhardiness of it, the 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 ignorance of the fact that people need food. Just because you sell steaks, just because you have a hotel and right now you're living off public assistance, so everything you eat is paid for by the public trust. You ignore the people who make it happen. Those very same people who have paid taxes and paid into the system are the ones who are saying, can somebody help me right now? Can somebody bail me out right now? People whom you want to take their health care away, who have pre-existing conditions, who need the health care in order to get treatment. You want to take that away. Do never ask. A non black person, what racism feels like. Never ask their opinions on racism because you cannot begin to imagine. Some of us, we get rich. And then we try to forget that we are black. We have to, because if we focus on it, it will drive us crazy. So we move into neighborhoods, but we're kind of like an island by ourselves, but we fool ourselves and delude delude ourselves into thinking that our neighbors are really into us. No, they're not. They're just being kind, they have businesses, they have public profiles. They don't wanna be accused of being racist, but believe you me, you're not exactly consorting with them. They don't see you as equal. They call you the black couple, the black family, that those people who live over there, been there, done that, and have written the book about it. And if we don't start to rewrite the narrative, change our ways of thinking about people, then we're going to be forever stuck in this situation. It was crazy to me to watch the debate on Tuesday night. Three old white men, the president and the Democratic nominee, and the moderator are three old white men asking questions about race and there was not a black moderator in there. There wasn't a black person in there to put some perspective on what it means to experience racism. It was amazing. That is how oblivious our political leadership is. That is how much of a bubble they live in. That they create policies. All the people around them look like them. So they create policies that they look at What are you talking about? That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. How? You don't have anybody who looks like you. Remember when Omarosa was in the White House? She was summarily kicked out. You really think Omarosa did anything? No, she was kicked out because she's black. And they wanted to put someone else in there. That's it. That's all that there was. That's all. It wasn't for any other reason but that she's black. And the other people who were there were like, we can't have her in here. She's enjoying it, this. There's a book that came out recently that said that the, that the president's wife said she was never going to sleep in the same bed as the Obamas. And she was not going to use the same bathroom as the Obamas. So she spent six months in New York rearranging her prenuptial agreement. And while she was there, she's like, fix that before I move in there. Racism. Look at her. She doesn't even have a college degree. Do you see what I'm saying? It's a note to all of us women. Who you marry is is important. Because she didn't have a college degree, but she married a man who was rich enough. Who believed he could, and she did. He did. Right? We've got to, we've got to, we've got to change this. And I feel like, I feel like. We're kind of running out of time. And we're going to find out that we had the time to fix it and didn't. Why? Because, frankly, in, in less than 10 years, the country, the minority, is going to be the majority. The two large minority groups, black and brown people, are suddenly going to be what? The majority. And we have, we're going to arrive at that place with no idea of how to combat the problems that the minority groups face. And we're still gonna be in a power struggle because white people will still hold on to civic and political power, but will not have the power of the majority vote. It's much like how this president won the election. He didn't win the popular vote. He won the electoral college vote. When you don't win the popular vote, that's something you need to look at. Why didn't I win it? That means you don't have the will of the people. The will of the people is significant and important. Because right now, we've seen the summer of strife. This was the George Floyd summer. It will go down in history as the summer when America broke the summer when black Americans said, enough is enough. I want my voice heard. It was the summer when people said enough of this white supremacy. All of a sudden we were cut open and our wounds were exposed. And we have political leaders who are saying, we need to fix it. We need to fix it. And another group saying, it's not our problem. It doesn't exist. Let's ignore it and keep on moving. And the white power establishment was sitting back, oh, clutching their pearls like, oh my God, our very way of life is threatened. But you know what? We're not racist. I'm not a bigot and I'm not racist. But oh my God, what if, what if? And we looked for the world over like the fools we are. We're supposed to be this society that is advanced in our thinking, that have the answers to all the world's problems. Are we gonna fix this? We have a problem with race. We're asking non-black people how they feel about race. And we can fix it? Wow. Never. It, it, it blows my mind that at a time like this, we're asking non-black people how they feel about racism stay tuned everybody listen to these ads that are coming make sure you go register to vote that's important right let's all go out and make sure you can get people to the polls if you're not registered check your state's website make sure you vote for the candidates of your choice we still you still have a right to do that we all do right and go out and vote thank you so much everybody this is Harriet Kemick with Down to Earth thanks for your contribution. Be blessed everybody.